Since 1912, the Better Business Bureau has been an integral part of American business. BBB represents knowledge for consumers, resources for business owners, and accountability for all in a free market. We believe that informed is empowered. Empowered people run better businesses, make better buying decisions, and build better communities. That's why we're broadcasting information you need to know to work better, buy better, give better, live better. This is BBB Presents. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. BBB Presents, Employer's Guide to Addressing Trauma, featuring Cinnamon Breiheld, founder of Whole House Counseling and Consultation. BBB's Sarah Kemmerer talks with Cinnamon about outdated mental health stigmas and how workplace leaders can be proactive with the right resources for their employees. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm very excited to welcome Cinnamon Ryheld, the founder of Whole House Counseling and Consultation. Whole House is a mental health private practice in Cincinnati that provides counseling and other clinical services to those who have experienced trauma, many of which are first responders. And Whole House was also one of BBB's Spark Award winners in 2019. So, Cinnamon, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I really appreciate being asked, and I love that you are making mental health a topic that we get to discuss. So in our first ever podcast episode a few months ago, we talked with the National Alliance on Mental Illness of Northern Kentucky, just about navigating your mental wellness when you're returning to work. And there are still so many people who are now working from home indefinitely, who are just getting back to working in the office, whatever it may be. That takes a toll on the mental health of really everyone handling this life-altering crisis. So I wanted to talk to you about the importance of checking in with yourself, no matter how much or how little your life has changed, and how we can make our work environment healthier. So, Cinnamon, can you share a little bit about the work your practice does every day? Sure. So um, our practice at Whole House, we have four clinicians, and we specialize in first responders. Uh, so those that work in fire service, emergency medicine, um, that you might think of like the medics that are with the firefighters, also law enforcement, commu- uh, emergency communication, like dispatchers, and military. But that expands even uh, beyond that where we work with uh, emergency room doctors, uh, flight medics, flight doctors, all of those people who are really just the first people that you're going to call when there is um, a critical incident. And so about 70% of our clients are first responders, and about the remaining 30% are those who are working to address issues of, like, developmental trauma, so what we would call childhood trauma, uh, additional traumatic events, um, life events as adults, addictive behaviors such as uh, substance, use like alcohol or drugs or sex addiction, uh, grief, anxiety, depression. And for most of our clients, it's actually a combination of those issues. Wow. So I'm sure you've seen a very wide spectrum of those dealing with mental illness, no matter the reason of why they chose to seek help, whether it is a huge trauma or someone who has never really thought about their mental health before. And I think it's safe to say that people are becoming more aware of their mental health than ever before. So why is the stigma behind mental health just now starting to change? So that's a great question, Sarah. You know, I came into working with the fire service, and they immediately took to 
this idea of mental health. What I didn't know coming in was that there had been decades of them being resistant to the idea of mental health. And so knowing that mental health has been stigmatized, like it's been forever. There's not been a real time in our history uh, all the way back to ancient times where mental health hasn't been stigmatized. Now, whether it was the belief that somebody was possessed by evil spirits or when they were ostracized and isolated in, quote, insane asylums, um, that's just kind of been our norm. And so the progress, while it's been slow, uh, we, we definitely are not in those same places today. And I think part of why people are realizing on this large scale is um, uh, about mental health, mental illness, and just like the idea of uh, behavior or emotional dysregulation, we tend to judge others, what we don't understand, and then we also worry about others judging us. Um, In our culture, we find these struggles as a sign of like weakness or a lack of willpower. We don't appreciate the idea of rest and self-care. You know, it comes out in our vernacular. We use things like crazy uh, in common phrases or even something like, I'll rest when I'm dead right? Like the idea that we take care of ourselves and um, we put our wellness first over our productivity or industrialization just is not um, how most of us were raised. Um, And so the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, when we apply it to our mental health, it should be, you know, I can fix this myself or I should be able to handle this on my own. And when we can't, then we feel like we failed. But what we're finding out is many of the struggles that folks have around mental health, because it is so common, just like it's common to get, you know, feel physically ill. It doesn't mean that you have, you know, this life-altering disorder. It can just be that you have a common cold. And so we need support to help us address those issues. You know, we might take vitamin C. We might realize that we're going to continue to take vitamin C to or zinc to ward off something, um, but we have clients that see us for maintenance after they get well, quote, well, they continue just to establish that constant line of communication and checking in. Um, and it, it serves us to realize the idea of having somebody who, what I like to say, doesn't have a dog in the fight, but can be a good listener, a compassionate listener, give us objective feedback, unbiased. Uh, we all deserve that. We all deserve to have somebody that we can talk things through with, whether it's an uh, old traumatic experience from childhood or it's a present day, you know, internal struggle or decision that we have to make. Yeah, well, you bring up a very good point that mental health isn't just something that you can see as like a physical scar or an injury on someone's body. But you also bring up another good point that luckily we're able to address mental illness and treat it with as just much deliberation as you would when you break your arm or you break your leg. You treat it, you treat your mental illness by going to therapy, by taking medication, just like you would an actual injury. So how have you seen people start the process of treating their mental mental illness? So speaking from my experience with first responders, because that is who I work with uh, the majority of the time. It's amazing to see how it can just take one person to speak up and say, 
oh, I'm seeing somebody for counseling and it's helping me and there's nothing wrong with that, right? And there mm-hmm. tends to be this domino effect that if one person makes it okay, then another person starts to think, wow, if they're willing to say it out loud and it's helpful, then there's value in that courage because it creates space and permission for others to be creative too and to reach out for that support and help. And uh, it can be life-changing. Like, I don't think that a lot of my clients who are open about the fact that they come to see me realize the full gravity of what it means for them to say, oh, yeah, I tell people all the time I see you. Like, they don't necessarily understand how they, as individuals, are changing other people's lives just by disclosing that and destigmatizing it and making it normal. Like, why wouldn't I, if I'm having a problem, why wouldn't I go talk to somebody who gets my job, who understands where I'm coming from, and can help me see it from a different perspective? Right. It it really takes just one person to speak up and encourage another to seek that help. And now I wanted to bring it back to those listening who have returned to work, maybe are working from home, or who have their own unique employment arrangement of whatever sort. But just kind of regardless of scenario, is it stressful to get reacclimated going back to work or adjusting to working from home permanently? So for those going back to work, I think it can be actually a positive experience to look forward to. Um, and it also can be very stressful simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And for those of us at the practice, we came back in June. Uh, June 1st, I decided to go back to our uh, brick-and-mortar office and offer both in-person and teletherapy. And for me personally, while I loved working from home and doing teletherapy, I also really missed seeing my clients in person. I also knew going back, working with a very – Um, high-risk population in terms of their likelihood of exposure, uh, we were going to have to take a lot of extra precautions. Um, And I also knew that there would be a mixed perspective, right, on the legitimacy of the pandemic, um, as well as opinions about the lengths that I chose for our practice to go to to keep people safe. And it also affected, like, my personal life in terms of how I made choices to minimize my exposure and to not negatively contribute to those who are coming into our office. Mm-hmm. And I asked in our, I asked our clients to do the same, like be mindful of what they were doing to keep all of us safe as we were using a shared space. So with all that being said, everyone's continual changing situation comes with different levels of stress and everyone is making some kind of adjustment with returning to work and returning to work doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, to cause stress. It can be just the nature of change. Some of us get into a flow at work and any disturbances to that flow can cause stress. Uh, But some stressors are more tolerable to to others, just as some people deal with stress more effectively than others. Yeah, I I like how you brought up in the the beginning of your answer that it's actually kind of a, a positive experience to look forward to. And I agree that some stress can be a good thing. It could be a very needed change of pace to your day-to-day life. But we do know that everyone handles stress differently. So something I wanted to bring up um, was how hard it is to ask for help if you're struggling with stress. And maybe you're not interacting with someone else who is who has reached out um, and gotten help somewhere. So for our listeners who are, like, on leadership teams, executive boards, in a position of power, 
how can they encourage their or how can they encourage employers to be proactive about having resources available to their employees? I'm so glad you asked this question because we get questions like this a lot. Like, can you help us create a resource list? And I think resource lists are great. They're essential. But even before we talk about, uh, you know, certain terms of resources and putting together those lists and ensuring our supervisors and management, you know, have what they need in, in those terms, one of the things that I've seen make way more of a difference than being able to whip out a list of resources is for those decision makers to have compassion for the experiences of their employees. And I know a lot of folks will say, well, of course I have compassion, but I'm talking about a very specific behavior that we see oftentimes in the workplace. And the last nine months have affected individuals differently, and we can't even begin to fathom the breadth of the, that impact on everyone. But we can come from a place of compassion and benevolence. And one of the most common detrimental behaviors in workplaces is hypervigilance. So going to great lengths and assuming negatively to assure people don't get one over on us or they don't abuse the system. And this mindset often leads us to assume the worst about our employees, that they're trying to take advantage of something or what they identify as their needs. And if there ever was a time that we could assume no malice and offer exceptions to ensure that everyone has a productive and positive work experience, it would be during a global pandemic. Um, this may require making exceptions that businesses wouldn't typically make, but again, uh, we have the capacity to make those exceptions, and it serves not only our employees, but ultimately the, those that our employees work with to be able to be flexible in that way. And on a basic level, knowing the phone numbers of crisis lines or agencies that provide specific types of support, knowing your EAP or your employee assistant program information and having it readily available to hand out to staff during staff meetings or other gatherings um, is, is going to be so important rather than waiting for someone to reach out. Because a lot of times we're not going to reach out, but we may have that, you know, stuffed in our bag or sitting on our desk or uh, we take it home and we can pull it out more discreetly and make that call when we need to. And I find it most useful if people have it when they need it, rather than discovering that they need it and then having to ask for it. So thank you so much for joining me today, Cinnamon. I really hope we were able to help navigate some of some sort of path for people who want to take proactive steps for their mental health. But I also hope we were able to help employers start addressing mental health for their staff. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Yes, not a problem. I'm Sarah Kummer with your local Better Business Bureau, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of BBB Presents. Until next time, connect with BBB Cincinnati on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Bookmark our site dedicated to resources for consumers and businesses in challenging times at COVID19Cincy.org. Don't forget to check out local businesses and do your part by leaving reviews at BBB.org.